Okay, well, welcome to the Mad Love Harley Quinn podcast. Uh, I am your host, uh, Brad Flicky, and with me today is uh, Kendra Hale. Say hello, Kendra. Hello, hello, hello. And Seth Singleton. Say hello, Seth. Hello, Seth. Hello. <laughs> and uh, before we get into talking about this episode uh we do want to make a little disclaimer here that this is not for children children should not be listening to this podcast nor should they be watching the show so if you have children you may want to turn this podcast off now and come back to it when they are not around okay so today we are talking about the episode l-o-d-r-s-v-p now, uh, the episode opens with a robbery of uh, an Atlantis museum. Now, Aquaman tries to stop them, but fails. And uh, as a result, Harley gets invited to possibly join the Legion of Doom. Uh, Kendra, what was your thoughts on this scene? For this one, Aquaman was uh, was definitely not what I expected. Because previously, the only time we've seen him is watching the Tawny show on the toilet. So we <laughs> haven't really gotten to meet Aquaman. But I, I have to admit, I wasn't expecting a uh, that's-what-she-said jokester who high-fives dolphins. But, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of hilarious that that's who they go after because he's typically seen as one of the lower of the A- a-listers for the JLA. Um, Seth, what did you think? Well, I have to be honest. Uh, <laughs> one, I, I was kind of just like remembering how great Clayface was as Aquaman to, to kind of set up the intro to that scene when they're breaking away and it's about to get a little hairy with the guards. Suddenly there's Aquaman like, aha, I've come to save all the blah, 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 blah. And you're like, mighty Clayface close to that voice, aren't we? And as they soar up to the, you know, the boat where Psycho looks really loaded. I mean, I was like, is he drunk? Is he high? Um, they they get there and then the real Aquaman shows up. And I, I just love that sort of like setup for it because then you're like, oh, well, that was the caricature. Now we should get the real deal. And instead, the real deal is like a royal jerk. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, first he goes after King Shark and he's like, your mother would be ashamed if you hang out in this plebeian company. To which I was like, wow, you know, someone's looking down their nose when they call you plebe or plebeian. Um, and then, <laughs> And then when they're like, you know, uh, you know, Harley decides to go ahead and, and go in with a zinger and he's like, no, 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 I prefer or no, I think it's him and Clayface are having a little back and forth. And he's like, you, sir, uh, the Shakespeare. And he's like, no, I prefer the Dickens, the deep Dickens, that is. Ha ha. Um, like all of that stuff was just great material. And it, it also kind of reminds you like, yeah. He might be regarded as a B-lister in a lot of people's eyes when it comes to the Justice League, but this guy's royalty. Like, <laughs> you can tell every time he shows up and announces himself and his lineage. And <laughs> there was just a lot of fun to, to be had there because also there's a party of, like, 
yeah, Harley's going to spend some time taking this guy down a bit, right? Brad, what was your take? <laughs> yeah, I think there were a lot of funny one-liners. The Deep Dickens was funny and, and King Sharks and, you know, I don't, I don't speak dolphin. I speak a little porpoise, <laughs> which kind of cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep, there were a lot of one-liners. And all I can say is that, you know, thankfully we have the Jason Momoa Aquaman because this Aquaman would have done nothing to uh, fix the character's reputation that he had before Jason Momoa took it over. Uh, you know, uh, so the, the, this Aquaman that we get is kind of a joke, even though he may be the Shakespeare of the sea <laughs> as uh, Clayface calls him. But he, uh, he, I did find him kind of similar into Clayface in that overblown way, like Seth, like you were mentioning. So I think overall, and, and Ivy taking down Aquaman was also uh, a good little little scene as well. And she still insists, I'm not part of the crew. You just asked for a little favor. I'm doing you a little help. So, Did um, somebody call for kelp? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Another one of those good one-liners in these first few minutes of this episode. So uh, the gang is given a uh, tour of the Legion headquarters, Legion of Doom headquarters, and uh, King Shark is so excited to find out that they have real divers that he can eat if he wants. He's super excited. He thinks it's his birthday. Um, Poison Ivy. (coughs) Um, In the end, confronts Lex, where she learns that in reality, it's Ivy they want and not Harley, and they won't take Harley if they don't get Ivy. So... Ivy has to kind of deal with that because she knows that it's kind of Harley's big dream to become a member of the Legion of Doom. Uh, so, Kendra, what do you think of this scene? I mean, there was there was a lot that led up to this. I, I loved that we got not only the invitation and, you know, we got another little, like, like Seth said, zinger with King Shark saying, you know, when Harley's like, oh, you know, you have to say that you're my friend to, Har- to Ivy when she's like, I told you you could lead a crew. She's like, you'd have to tell me I'm one of the prettiest girls because you're my friend. And King Shark jumps in with, you know, well, my mom told me that, too, and makes this little side side note that shark genitalia is hard to see until until it's there, until it isn't. <laughs> but when when they go and take this tour of the Legion of Doom, one of the things that struck me first was the fact that we get Lex, who's voiced by Giancarlo uh, Esposito, who is more known for Better Call Saul or... Breaking Bad, for me at least. We had just come off of those. So to hear his voice as Lex, I was like, yes, this is the casting that I would have done for him. But it was so funny to see how much they were trying to win them over. Because like you said, Brad, they had something for everyone. They had the diver for King Shark. They had the play nights for Clayface. They they let Dr. Psycho come later in the in the show so i mean everybody gets something pointed specifically to them except for ivy and you're right lex is kind of a dick when he puts her in that position to where he's like well we want you we don't really care about anybody else seth what did you think about it you're right that there was so much that was leading into this and it seems like it's the perfect playground right like this is the place all of Harley's crew, Harley included, who already wanted this more than anybody from the beginning. But now all these little tidbits are there, literally for King Shark to just nibble away on. Clayface is like, you know, 
uh, immediately, I'm sure, uh, besmirched by the fact that he gets addressed as the actor of the group and that they've got improv every Wednesday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's that feeling of just like, wow, they're they're rolling out all the stops. But along the way, there's some great insights into who these guys are. One, they've got a, a hall of gold statues to, uh, you know, commemorate Sinestro, Luther, and Roger Goodall, to which, you know, Scarecrow drops in like, yeah, we stand for the anthem around here. Uh, <laughs> and then along the way, you get this sort of setup for the fact that there's a, you know, there's a nefarious sort of plot going on. And I love the fact, Kendra, that you brought up Giancarlo Esposito, like, what a great voice, what a great persona already in people's minds. And clearly, this is not something that's all occurring on the surface. There's more to, you know, look at, consider. And it's clear right. that they're all doing this to get to the talent, right? I mean, we're talking about Ivy here. <laughs> and uh, all the things along the way just sort of give you that sense of like, okay, here you go, here you go, and now we got you. And I love the enticement. I love the teasing. I love the treats. I definitely feel like along the way, there's all these little warnings, though, like, whoa, so you guys kick it with Goodall, huh? And the anthem thing. Okay, expect to see some ugly side of this because you're not referencing heroes in everybody's books. Brad, what was your take, man? Yeah, yeah, I I just would really like to see Bane do some improv. I don't know about you guys, but I think he would be he would be great. Uh, and I do love him wanting to blow up the chicken satay. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there is there's just something for everyone. And I got the feel not so much that it was catered to them, but that the Legion of Doom was so big and so expansive that this it would automatically have something for everyone just because of the scope of of what it is uh and lex is certainly a good good salesman and yeah uh, kendra's right he, he is a dick for uh putting ivy in that position uh you know uh it, and it brings up a really big theme of friendship that comes up again in uh in this in this episode and moving right along, we also get to meet the tentacle monster that is living under the mall where the crew is staying. Uh, specifically, Dr. Psycho gets to meet the tentacle monster, and Psy has a story to tell. Kendra, what was your take on this? Oh my gosh, meeting meeting Psy's tentacle monster. Um, so... I mean, it, it sets it up as a side story in the beginning because we start hearing all these lovely, loud sounds that nobody wants to, like, fully address. Psycho is just like, you know, oh, these have been waking me up, but nobody really addresses it until, you know, him and Psycho go down and he starts telling him just what is in the basement of, of this lovely dilapidated mall and has been there apparently for 35 years. So I guess my 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 reaction to that was how is they not? Because they've been here for a bit now in this layer. How have they not, you know, noticed that there's all this noise and, you know, disturbance that's going on beneath them? Or is it that she's just finally like, okay, I know you guys are up there. Why hasn't anybody come down to check out what the noises are? 
Seth, what did you think of the lovely tentacle monster? Well, I, I kind of anticipated that we're moving into a dilapidated mall. Only bad things can happen from this point on. I will admit, I didn't see the tentacle monster on the horizon. I was thinking zombies, ghosts, some other mall-themed kind of stuff that, you know, made more sense to me. But the tentacle monster, one, makes a great appearance with that, you know, god-awful sound. And then (laughs) we get to see Psycho in his race car bed, which pretty much just set me up for the rest of the fucking scene. Like, I was just sort of like, oh, okay, (laughs) we're going to make fun of the little guy in his kid's bed. You know, Um, sure, let's roll into this. There's the back and forth with side. There's the discovery that the tentacle monster has been there. And then, I mean, it just beats the shit out of Psycho. <laughs> Smacks him around, you know, kind of does the the Hulk Thor treatment or uh, Hulk Loki, I'm sorry. And uh, God. Yeah, exactly. Puny. And just, you know, like trashes him around. And then <laughs> you've got Psycho like. Yeah, I'm going to need a little more insight into what's going on here. It just literally smashed me up. And it was a great B story. It's a nice little sort of, you know, distraction from what's been going on with the rest of the team. And it's a perfect little cliffhanger because immediately we move from that into the prospective uh, members ball. And uh, man, I'm just going to say, I I was just glancing at something I totally forgot. We we just left off the Legion of Dildos reference way back yeah. in the other scene. And I'm <laughs> like, did they have any protracted cool. legal battle? <laughs> right, right. And uh, not only that, but I, I love the whole, like, we sent you 148 invitations. You didn't accept. Why did they have, uh, you know, Matt Damon for the Golden Globes and Best Comedy for Martian? Because they wanted Matt Damon to show up. You're Matt Damon. And I was like, Ouch, that could be a really rough analogy for Ivy, depending on where she falls on Matt Damon in the current climate. Um, Politically, he's not always, you know, the best reference right now. Other people are like, where's the big deal? He's like milk toast. Like, what's not to love about the guy? Um, So I love that we sort of set up that little thing, too. I I love the Legion of Dildos. Um, It seems like a sex shop that every comic book fan should go to (laughs) simply because of the name. I'm not saying we all need to go to sex shops or it's important that we do or that I do. I'm not saying that I have a membership or a discount savers card. Or anything else awkwardly confusing like that. What I am saying is if it's called the Legion of Dildos and you're a comic book fan, you gotta consider it. You just you just gotta consider it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna and throw if that out. If you huh? were gonna and if you were gonna open a sex shop close to the Legion of Doom headquarters, what else are you gonna call it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I there mean needs you to be like a compromise. <laughs> there needs to be like a discount for the Legion of Doom members. Like they get their own card and because they're <laughs> LOD two, they get like a ten percent off or buy ten, get one free. <laughs> yeah, well, can you imagine the conversation though where they're like, Okay guys, so it's either Legion of Dicks or Legion of Dildos. Okay, okay, but do we really sell dicks? No, of course not. They're dildos, so they're fake dicks. But wait a minute. They could be dicks. People might think of them as dicks. We don't know how people perceive them, or we don't want to judge. <laughs> now, that that could be wrong. And, folks, if this isn't what you were expecting, well, this is the warning we gave at the beginning. Again, if your ears are too young, you shouldn't hear me say what I just said. And if they're not, come on, you've been thinking it too. Like, really, be honest with me. Legion of Doom, Legion of Dildos, Legion of Dicks. You were there with me in the sewers and the gutters. I I, I don't want to hear any complaining, yo. <laughs> How about you, Brad? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I almost felt bad for Dr. Psycho this episode, not getting to go to the Legion of Doom, 
getting beat up by the tentacle monster. Uh, poor guy had it rough. Uh, and and uh, it's kind of nice to get a little more of Sai. We haven't gotten a lot of him recently, so it was fun to see him back in the mix. And I think most old abandoned balls do have tentacle monsters living in them somewhere, so it's it's not surprising. Um, <laughs> Brad saw it coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and at that perspective, members ball. Uh, Aquaman comes back to get his family jewels, and <laughs> Sinestro makes a joke. <laughs> I know it was you, Sinestro. <laughs> you have no proof. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, he does attack to try to get his jewels back. Once again, is defeated by Harley Quinn because she tricks him into breaking the aquarium and he has to rush to save all the fish. Meanwhile, uh, Bane is having fun stomping on the, on the fish. I stomp on your fish. <laughs> uh, Kendra, what do you think of this scene? I think this episode gives us another great drinking game, and it's the oh shit game, because that is the the, the slogan for this one. You get oh shit from basically every character who's who's got a main part in this one, from Ivy, from Harley, from Aquaman, even from the pufferfish. I mean, and and Kite Man for that, because Kite Man makes a showing, and we get almost what we could consider to be the first slip up between Ivy and Kite Man because he calls her babe in front of Harley. Yeah. So. That part was great for me. That and Bane with the I'm stepping, stepping on your fish. <laughs> and Aquaman calling Harley out because you see her for a moment kind of feel bad. Like this was all her idea for this aquarium to break. And here she comes kind of feeling bad afterward. And she's like, oh, well, the YMCA has a pool just right down the road so we can save them. <laughs> and here's Aquaman. What are you for? <laughs> you know, I loved in that scene because I, I, the uh, – the octopus's eyes were kind of the same emotion that Aquaman had when he was yelling at Harley. So you see the <laughs> octopus on Aquaman's head being angry just as much as he is when he's yelling at her. I thought that was a fun touch. <laughs> Seth, what was your favorite part of this one? Oh, man, it, it was hard. I mean, the one-liners, you know, Harley looking at her competition, which is a KG beast. And talking about how she's classier, to which Ivy has to remind her that she was drinking cereal out of a blender, which I, I, I was just like, nope, never been there. And at least if I have, can't publicly remember it, uh, admit it, or was uh, too inebriated to ever possibly remember it. Thank God for amnesia. Thank God. <laughs> um, you know. One, I, I love the appearance of Aquaman. Like, he suddenly just makes that sort of like, I've come back. I warned you. I told you. And then he gets sort of smacked around by Harley. He, he puts up a good fight. E everybody's in there for this scene. I mean, yeah, you've got Bane stomping fish. You've got Clayface turning into Superman, getting his head cut off. Um, you, you've got Sinestro saying, they stole your balls, which is just... <laughs> How is that not funny? Like, how do you not like if you're Aquaman? How do you not go? Hold on, ah, and then come back to it and try and have a, you know, um, I, what's that? I was gonna say that I love that. That's the only thing that Sinestro ever says, and it's off screen. <laughs> well, we get a great little like cameo thing, right? Yeah. Like Black Adam's getting in. We that see thing. him there. Yeah. Uh, we get to see uh, Man Bat hop in there for a minute. Yeah. Um, and, and 
I mean, we get to see Aquaman called Fish Stick, which is just, I mean, I was like, did she say stick? Nope, she said dick. Fish Stick, Fish Stick. Oh, man. <laughs> just like rolls off the tongue. And that puffer fish cry. I mean, yeah. that was that was just beautifully heart wrenching. Like I almost wanted to hear the slow motion platoon, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, with the symphony coming in and, and just sort of like a, a slow motion. Uh, um, I think I think really, though, it's going to come back to the part where we got a great princess bride reference. Did anybody else catch that? No, oh, I don't think I did. Yeah, as soon as Aquaman shows up and he's like, ha ha, they're like, boo to you, boo to you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> man, is this right? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I loved it. Like, I just suddenly, I could see the little old lady there. Like, boo, you had true love and you ruined it. Ah, you know, and uh, I mean, I, I, I'm well aware of the fact that movie had quite the impact on me. So that that's that's where I was just like, yeah okay guys yeah and then follow it up with they stole your balls i was like how do you go from princess bride to stole your balls that quick <laughs> red tell me about some of your favorites man uh i you know i feel bad for dr psycho in this episode but i also feel bad for kite man not only is he not invited to be a member he's there serving hors d'oeuvres and then he tries to save ivy to only get sucked out of the roof by a crosswind a cross window shit and that's There's always a see a kite man <laughs> yeah <laughs> poor kite man um but yeah this scene uh was was hilarious um it's another one of those really throwing jokes at you real quick quick writing that we've all grown to love on this show uh you know and that's and it's also interesting with first time ivy does call kite man babe it's kind of that moment you know where hey this is he's really wearing her down uh so i guess you can't feel that bad for him uh in in the end i guess that's what's that's worth it um yeah and i i enjoyed the the balls joke with sinestro um yeah this was this was uh definitely kind of the highlight of the episode and after we we do learn the origin of the tentacle monster it turns out to be Sai's sister and a failed attempt to make a monkey octopus hybrid known as a monkey puss uh kendra what was your take on this i think i agree fully with you brad that we're getting a little bit more about Sai and his backstory because we've only seen a little bit like we know that he's a secret agent we know that he has this, this dual life we know that all of that has led to where he is now but we, we haven't gotten a lot of it. And to meet his sister and learn, you know, that they were working for the CIA. He was a cleaner. She was a scientist. And she broke down and, you know, m- tried to make him his, his monkey puss hybrid so that he could take it on his missions. And everything went wrong. It, it kind of <laughs> it gives us the outrageous quality that we needed for Sai and his backstory. But... I think that this is this is the part where Dr. Psycho really shines. He gets to be Whoopi. He'll be the Whoopi for this scene. And I actually love it because you finally get to see a little bit of emotion from Dr. Psycho because all that we've known about him up to this is he's kind of a jackass who doesn't necessarily see women in the best light. But for him to be like, you know, 
literally full on crying between this interlude between Sai and his sister it is really great to see. It's not something that we, we get a lot of from his character. And I like that we got that. And it was just him. I mean, yes, we have the rest of the crew in the background, but for the most part, this has been his and size journey. And I like that we got that little bit of we're pulling him away and letting you see a little bit more of Dr. Psycho. Seth, what did you think? Well, you know, a guy like Cy in a wheelchair with cybernetic parts and that kind of raspy voice where he's just, you know, coming at you. And, ah, you, you know, he's got a story. You feel like he just spends his whole life telling you these stories about these things he did. And his sister, Miri, Muriel, um, caught up with him in the height of CIA chaos where cocaine and hybridization are, are all the rage. To which I think to myself, when has that ever been a good combination? Ever. Like, go ahead, tell me. Cocaine, hybridization, go. Because the results we got, I mean, granted, there were some simple ones that seemed really like, okay, this works. I get the winged horse. But the snail tiger, guys, really, what do you call it? A sniger? A snail? I mean, <laughs> come on, man. Like, you like know, <laughs> all I see is Napoleon Dynamite. Like, yeah, I call it a liger. Um, <laughs> right? Anybody Was anybody else with me in that moment? Like, where's Napoleon? Seriously? Where's Napoleon and Pedro? Right now. Okay, so we're not going to do that. Um, but what we do get is the story of Sai. And what I love is it's a quick drop in, but Sai was a cleaner. He was the go-to guy. You know what that means? That's the guy you go to. And Sai is just that, you know, great example of not only do we know that he's a cleaner, but we know that every other story we're going to hear about later is going to be about a cleanup he either had to do or he didn't do or about life before being a cleaner. Like you've already got so many avenues that we can explore later on down the road. And it's such a perfect little setup because Kendra, as you point out, we know he's there. He's clearly sticking around after he was Ivy's landlord at the apartment. And now it's in the mall. And he still wants and he, he really wants to be part of the crew. Like, you know, aside from every once in a while trying to burn their bodies, he basically likes these guys. And, uh, well, if we're, if we're going to like him, too, we got to know more. And he's made some mistakes, maybe led to a bit of high pressure that create a sister who's a tentacle monster. But who hasn't? Who who hasn't? OK, yeah. you know, let's not judge here. And because of that, we, we get this great idea of. Who Sai was, the fact that this was kind of like a family business, um, and that there's going to be more than a few consequences. Maybe one which will explain the cybernetic parts and why they don't work very well. Yeah, you know, but uh, uh, I think for the most part, we can also anticipate that anytime he uh, shows up, we're going to get a shitstorm. How about you, Beth? Yeah, I I, I would watch uh, a whole episode devoted to Mission of Psy as a cleaner back in the day just a random one-off episode i would totally be there for that i think that would be a fun uh a fun watch and Seth, like you were saying there's a lot of ways they can explore that you know it's, it gives the character a lot more uh to work with uh yeah and who hasn't tried to uh you know turn their sister into a monster i mean it was the 80s everybody was into cocaine and hybridization that was the 80s um yeah but uh different time yeah (laughs) 
and this this does bring up another kind of the it, it kind of still kind of highlights even though this is family it still kind of highlights the theme of kind of friendship that goes throughout this episode uh in a really in a really neat way i think from here we go back to the initiation ceremony and right before lex is going to make the announcement of who the who it's going to be ivy breaks down and tell harley that the legion doesn't want her that they want me and that they were only using her and this makes Harley really angry, especially when Lex makes the announcement that it is indeed Harley Quinn getting into the Legion of Doom. Uh, Kendra, what do you think about this scene? I think that if uh, Lex was trying to drive a wedge between Ivy and Harley, he really kind of fully succeeded here. And we, we can definitely, as you watch the episode, see that this is his endgame from the beginning. He lets Ivy know what's going on and what the the plate is when they get there and Ivy talks to him, it's still the game plan. And then when he gets up there, he literally waits. Like he waits until the last minute, even referring to the candidate being a machine before Harley is, is announced. And you're right. Not only does Harley get supremely mad at Ivy. I mean, it's literally, you see that moment of betrayal between the friends in, in the minute where Ivy tells her the truth. And I, I agree. I mean, this is definitely a deepening not only of the characters, but of the plot line, because now we have this, this wedge that's driven between the two. And even though when we shoot back over to Sai and we see the talk between the two, um, between him and his sister, and we see that Harley immediately feels, you know, remorse over, over the fight between her and Ivy, nothing happens. And, it sucks. Like it's a really hard hitting part of the episode because Ivy's been there for Harley through everything, through the the bad, through some of her highs, through all of the lows. She's always been there as this resilient friend. And she thought that she was doing what was right by telling Harley what the truth was before she saw Harley's heartbreak. And Lex is just, it's, he's the a, apex dick. He is the one who runs the show and there's a reason why he does. Seth, what was your take? <laughs> One, I now want a t-shirt that says at the top, Apex Lex question mark, Apex mm-hmm. Dick at the bottom. Like that, mm-hmm. that's so just fucking hot. I mean, Kendra, well, well done. Like, yep. Silk screeners, if you heard me, copyright license <laughs> right now, bitches, right now. You come see me, you pay up. All right. I don't want to hear this. I thought of it. No, no, no. Right now. Claiming it. Uh, 2.38 in the afternoon. Friday the 29th, that's right, come get some. Um, But, man, I mean, one, okay, if you're going to have a voice of an apex dick, totally pulling an apex dick move, like, let's go back to the brilliant casting of Esposito here. And let's also look at the fact that he's playing the long game. Like, the whole time he's setting up Ivy, he's challenging, because he knows one thing, that before... Harley was a shit show. Like, God bless her little heart. But when she was running around with Joker, he had her spun like a top. In between, she's drinking the Kool-Aid and just like, oh, my God. I mean, look at what was happening to her memories about crucial experiences where she was actually responsible because of how twisted up she got. Ivy's been the one who's helped her get grounded. She's pulled off more of these capers because of her help. And if they really want to take 
Harley out of the equation, break up the friendship, and then have a destitute Ivy who they can later try and recruit and offer friendship to? Well, you got to divide and conquer. And the perfect way to do that is to, as you said, Kendrick, give all the leading language, machine, real star, all these things where you're like, dude, there's no way Harley's getting this. Ivy, what are you going to do? And she's like, let's just get let's just get the fuck out of here, dude. Let's start our own team. We'll get those matching unitard spandex things, which I just <laughs> I absolutely love because I was like, oh, yeah, right. You know, you can have a logo. Uh, so I love that she's like pulling out every stop. And as soon as Lex knows that she's fallen for it, then he's like, boom, now we go ahead and pull the move. And you got to love the, the the total just visual joke comedy of KGB screwing on another attachment because the spoon hand was one. But, uh, you know, screwing on the middle finger, flipping it up, walking out, like not even a line, not even a reference, just like, <laughs> boom, one finger up. <laughs> yeah, <was> Out the door. <laughs> And uh, what a way to drive a wedge, right? Like they, then they've got the cat, you know, what what the guys are going to call a cat fight afterwards. I mean, even Shark and Clayface are like, ooh, this is getting hot, dude. Juicy. What's going on? <laughs> and you can see that already there's this mistrust and that you don't even believe in me and and that, you know, animosity that can grow quote, so quickly. Like now you're jealous of me and this is my time to shine. And you're like, oh, dude, come on. Like next thing you know, you're going to be saying I shook up the world and I'm the champ. Like, you know, tone it down. But Brad, where were you at on this, man? Yeah, I, I'm glad that you both brought up how, you know, Lex – you know, you're saying the apex stick that he manipulated everything. He knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, and he, you know, it's a textbook way of manipulating people and he did it so well. And the, that just made me kind of respect this incarnation of the character that much more. Uh, it, it, and the writers, we go back to this, the writers being so good on the show. Uh, I feel like they almost, the whole writing staff got in a room and said, okay, this is what we're going to do with these characters. And it was very meticulous with each one. And the way that they use Luther to manipulate this is just a perfect example of something that seemed plotted out for the character development. And I hope we get to see, you know, more Lex uh, as we get more and more episodes uh, yeah, I'm, you know, this gave me a lot more respect for this version uh, of Lex. And yeah, uh, you know, and poor Ivy, because I at the end, she tries to do what is right by Harley, no matter what. And and a lot of times she doesn't get a lot in return. She gets broken TVs, broken coffee tables. And really, it wasn't her intention to uh hurt Harley at all, obviously. So that was kind of felt bad for her in uh, in that moment. And I'm glad that you brought up the KGB thing because that was that was hilarious. And it was one of those jokes I saw happening, and I was obviously like, oh, I know what's going to happen right as it was happening. Like, that was obvious. <laughs> Why would it not be anything more than a middle finger sticking up? So good. You know so it's going to happen. So you're like, oh, yeah, I know it's happening. I'm still laughing my ass off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our kind of depressed, angry crew returns back to the mall headquarters just in time to meet the Tenego monster themselves as Dr. Psycho uses his power 
to help Sai and his sister talk to make peace. Sai uh, says, you're free, baby, go. She goes, and everybody's happy. Oh, look, she's so happy. And she goes and terrorizes the city. Uh, Kendra, what do you think of this scene? I loved this scene. I really <laughs> did. Um, I mean, getting to see Dr. Psycho, like I said, you know, be whoopee. And saying that ghost affected everyone because who didn't ghost affect? Um, I mean, it was it was brilliant. It was brilliantly written. It was it was done really really well. And like I said, it it deepened. You see the moment where Harley is listening to Sai as he talks to his sister, and she's like, you know, I'm not mad at you because of me turning into this this creature. I'm mad at you because you abandoned me for 35 years. You just cut me off. So not only did I lose my brother, but I lost my best friend. I had no connection to the outside world. I had no connection to the person who I regarded with the most respect. And that, you see it hit Harley really, really hard because that is her and Ivy. That's always been their relationship. And I think that this scene set that up beautifully. I mean, yes, we don't get closure to it, but we, for that side of it, I mean, we absolutely get closure for Muriel because she gets to go up and destroy everybody and eat a few people and sling their body parts. But we don't get closure for Harley and Ivy. I think that's that's something that I will be looking forward to when we discuss the next episode. Seth, what did you think? Well, first I'm going to say ditto. And if you know Ghost like I know Ghost, come on now. Ghost affected everybody. Okay, that was like the like ultimate response to I love you. Except, you know, in the twisted way that it's from a guy who can't say I love you. So he can only say ditto instead of I love you back. Um, but... <laughs> And that's not to say I can't say I love you, Kendra, all right? I'm just, uh, I, I just, you know, I needed a movie <laughs> reference. So, like, uh-huh. you know, I love you guys. But uh, we do get to come back to this great scene. And we get to see, you know, Psycho, as he says, I- I'll be your whoopee. Why? Ghost affected everyone. And he's clearly taken with the role as he levitates above everyone. And acts as the medium. And in doing so, we, we learn what muriel's real struggle is what her sense of betrayal is and they cross that wonderful bridge from you know brother and sister to best friend which is what's going on you know with the relationship between harley and ivy and their friendship and kendra you said it we don't get the closure but much like lex is you know playing the long game with his manipulations the writers are playing the long game here too they know that this is one of the many bumps because Man, as much as this is an emancipation story for Harley, this is also a love story for Harley and Ivy. And we're seeing that bit by bit grow. But no true love story, at least one presented on screen or in books, can ever be just like, oh, my God, I love you. I love you. Oh, my God, let's go fuck. And then we're perfect forever. Like, it never happens that way. Not if you want to have that great dramatic tension. There's got to be that feeling of like, I love you. I want you. Uh, But these things are holding me back. And in the process, you betray me along the way. And now I feel like, you know what I mean? There's always got to be this back and forth, these struggles. So we have this opportunity with this setup, you know, for a longer narrative that's going on. It's not going to be solved at the end, but we're planting seeds for what the reasons are going to be. That'll bring these characters back around to each other. And we get at least a moment of reunion and (sighs) a little bit of family sort of uh, forgiveness followed by screaming and blood curdling and 
I mean, if there was one great moment when Muriel gets a chance to go out there and, and see the world and start destroying helicopters and the like is the one guy who she picks up who's like, I'm in her mouth. And then we see like bloody body parts spray everywhere, which was just pure fucking genius. <laughs> Brad, how about you? Yeah, this scene was uh, touching uh, in a way. Um, but, you know, in, in this show, touching can also lead to violence uh as it did but uh yeah there was a certain uh charm to the idea of them being able to to make peace and once again it goes to that theme of you know of friendship that that pops up in this episode um you know so even though we don't know what happened to the tentacle monster we hope that she made it at least to the to the water okay before batman or whoever would come and try (laughs) to stop her (laughs) Um, <laughs> I get to the water. Uh, but yeah this was kind of a nice uh little closure scene for the both of them and uh harley goes back to the legion of doom headquarters to uh you know kind of get settled in uh, she meets with lex and lex introduces her to somebody he has waiting for her none other than the joker uh, Kendra, what do you think of this scene? I think it was the ultimate end. Um, I mean, it's it's one of the great cliffhangers that here we see Harley, who is now, you know, minus her, her like, most resilient partner in crime, and she has to face probably the hardest thing that she she's probably ever had to do. You know, this is someone that she destroyed their lair she's basically mocked him she's fought him at every every interlude that she can and now that she's finally you know made it through her the first part of her checklist of you know breaking up a joker and getting into the legion now she actually has to face him face you know literally face to face and i think that that was the perfect setup and joker probably was in on it from the beginning given what we see coming so seth what did you think about them revealing the joker at the end he was totally in on it. You know, he was like, you know, working some sort of deal with Luther, like, hey, help me do this, do that, get get my chick back, and I'm set. I just need my girl. Because, you know, she's she's like a thing to him. You know, I mean, he's like a dog who's got a toy and gets bored with it, and somebody else gets it, and now he wants it back. Like, that's how he looks at it. He doesn't see her as a person. He doesn't imagine she's had any growth. And if she has, as far as he's concerned, it's an obstacle. One that they can quickly remove by getting rid of who we all know is her anchor. I mean, from the beginning of this episode, it's quickly pointed out that despite all of her best efforts, Harley is nothing without Ivy coming in to save the day. Well, Ivy's not in the picture anymore. They've removed her as the support system, which means without her coming in to save the day, at least for the moment... Joker can have all the fun he wants and all these, you know, silly ideas as he's going to think of them about emancipation and, you know, finding your own freedom and being your own person. He's just going to wear it down. And he's got the lull and pull and system of the Legion of Doom with which to manipulate all that. And clearly Luther is an ally. Like, it's set up for Harley to not win, and it's, you know, set up so that she has no hope or help because we take Ivy away. And now we have to see, okay, what if Ivy doesn't come back? Who's Harley going to be? 
has all of this been for nothing? Was this first gauntlet just about coming back home and, you know, settling back down? We get a chance to see in the upcoming episodes, but it, it is a great teaser. And <laughs> along the way, there's also going to be those insinuations that Psycho is such the perfect channel for. Like, he clearly hasn't learned much from his whoopee experience. And right after they get checked in and he's so relieved that he finally gets back into the Legion of Doom because um, he'd been kicked out. He goes, Harley, whatever, like, you know, weird, messed up sex thing you had to do. I'm glad you did it. She's like, I didn't do that. He's like, yeah, yeah, nod, nod, wink, wink. Like, you know, that's going to be the fucking story afterwards. You know, he's going to be like, hey, guys, so I'm back. Yeah, Harley Quinn did some freaky sex thing with Luther and like 30 guys. And now I'm in, you know, <laughs> you're like, wow. Like, she's just going to be getting burned from all these different angles. And who she's going to be afterwards, it's a crucible. It's going to get hot. How about you, Brad? Yeah, I think this was a definite turning point for the show. Uh, up until now, it's always been about proving herself and getting into the Legion of Doom. And now she's get there, and she's going to learn pretty quick that it's not what she had expected and maybe not what she wants after all. And that is another big thing, the theme of this episode. It's like, uh, you know, you, if you get what you want, you might realize it's not what you expected and not what you want at all. And I think that that's sinking in. And that's definitely this is that point where it turns to go into these last few episodes of the season to to what happens. Um, and I, I did like the little text messages that Harley and Ivy were shooting back and forth before she sees the Joker. Um, you know, and and. She knows that she's kind of over her head, I think, too, as well. So, yeah. Now, is there anything that we didn't touch on on this episode that you wanted to talk about, Kendra? I think the only thing that we didn't touch on um, that, that I would bring to light is back during the scene where they're at the party uh, and Aquaman kind of crashes. I do like the fact that not only do we see all the villains, but we also get to see this this nice little short interlude between him and Black Mana, where he steps in between Harley and Ivy and Aquaman, and he's like, I think you mean me. And Aquaman's like, no, not everything is about you, David. <laughs> and yeah. I, I really loved that, because Harley has, has been the queen of shaking things up in Gotham, and she really doesn't care about the old you know, this is your your hero and your villain. She doesn't care about that. She doesn't care that these these have been set for so long. She's like, I don't care who whose villain you are or whose hero you are, I'm going to fuck with you. And for Manta to kind of step in and be like, well, no, you're looking for me, it, it just kind of resonates that, that theory a lot more because Harley's taken on, she's tried to take on Soups, she's tried to take on Batman, she's tried to take on just about every member that she can get her, her little her paws on. And this one was just another really cool way of seeing that because we see Black Mana step in and he's just like, no, this is mine. And I, I liked that. I liked that they brought that in. And like you said earlier, Brad, it's just a credit to the writers because they do not leave anything on the floor. Like there's always a reason that they do something in an episode. Like I really wouldn't be surprised if sometime later we see Muriel just basking about in Atlantis, chilling with Aquaman. Like, it would make a lot of sense if she did make it to the sea, and now she's getting to live the life of, 
you know, of peace being now known as the Kraken or something. It would be hilarious. <laughs> Seth, what about you? Did we forget anything that you thought you saw? <laughs> well, uh, the the one thing that they probably, it, as I was thinking it over and just sort of like glancing back, that sticks for me is a great line from Kite Man, which is his response to a violent sort of suggestion is going, and we're just going to take that anger and we're going to ask you to go ahead and put that yeah. in your pocket. And I thought that was just, it, it was such like, all right, so Kite Man shows up and he's comic relief as the caterer boyfriend that Har- Ivy doesn't want to admit to and Harley can't stand, right? But then we get this great, just like, he's not just there making an appearance and, and being the butt of the joke. He's also creating the jokes. He's still being 100% Kite Man. And I'm just going to say, take that anchor, put it in your pocket. We're going to save that for later. And we're going to keep going on with. <laughs> there's there's something just lovely about that. Like, you know, someone has a full handle on these characters and that even when they appear in a scene, you can't just drop them in there and then leave them alone. You need to keep them around. And then perfectly, as we've already set up with that, then have him try and defend his lady and. As we point out, tragic crosswind draft and sucking out of the the hole in the glass, these things happen. But, you know, when he shows up, it's not like he just shows up and we don't get any development. We get the back and forth with Ivy. We get Harley's disappointment that they're like a couple or that, that they're showing affection towards each other. And then we even get to see him, you know, give a little bit of personality, stand up for his lady, and then boom, right back out of the scene. Like... There's some lovely magic being worked in moments like that. Like, you know, they're, they're sitting around like, okay, but if we put him in, we can't just throw him in there like a non-playable character or something. Like, we have to do something with him because he's making all of this happen. We got to remind folks, him and Ivy, like, there's a thing going on. Harley's not that aware of it. And we, even what she thinks she's aware of, she don't like. So I, I love just that little magic in there. Just like, you know... Yeah, he's kind of going to look like a punk, but we need this. (laughs) And they make it work brilliantly. How about you, Brad? Was there something that you were like, dude, dude, I got it. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up the Black Manta thing as well. I like that little little quick scene, you know, as well. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was it's true. It was like not everything is about him. So I did, uh, yeah, I did like, I did like that scene uh, as well. And as usual, like we've been doing with these episodes, um, do you have like a favorite line or uh, like another tagline for the episode, Kendra? Uh, I I still think that my favorite line for this one uh, would probably be where we see Bane stomping on the fish. (laughs) Either that or I will blow you up, chicken (laughs) sete. <laughs> I mean, honestly, oh, that's, that's probably <laughs> exactly. Oh, Bane. <laughs> Those are some of my favorite parts. I don't think that I would change the title though, because I think that this one was was really on point with their title. Seth, what was your favorite line? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy every time Bane just is like, "Why?" You're just like so happy when he does. It's just the the you know. Everything else he says after that is just happiness. Um, if I had to think of another title, I would want to take on the fantastic wonder that is Mr. Steve J. Ray and offer up, as Brad suggested, 
be careful what you wish for. Well, in this one, we could go with the Aquaman theme and say, be careful what you fish for. And that could be an interesting time. <laughs> no, that's a good one. <laughs> and Steve, if you're listening right now, brother, come on, man. You got you to come back with another one. Um, <laughs> but I was just like, it's just sitting there. It's like the pitcher wasn't thinking. He threw that slow ball, and it's right there over the plate, like Chris Smack. Um, yeah, I think uh, that would be my alternate title. Be careful what you fish for. Um, or we could always go with the other for sea light with friends like these. Who needs an enemies? Um, because between those two, you've you've got that possibility. <laughs> um, and give me time, and I will try to come up with something that's a little bit closer to Aquaman. Um, in the meantime, uh, those are going to be my my current entries. Brad, how about you? Favorite line, I, ultimate title. <laughs> I, I I can't compete with those titles. Those those were good. <laughs> uh, but I think my favorite line was when Ivy when she said, "Oh great, you have a fish tank and do improv. You're my shitty college boyfriend." <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was just pure fucking awesome. <laughs> Oh man, that's just like there's Ivy has so many great lines uh, like that throughout the series, and that was just one of them that struck me as funny. All right, and guys, so are there like, just pure deadpan, <laughs> like dry, yeah. like sandpaper, just like oh my god, <laughs> and then you're just like here it comes, and then she does it, and you're like oh man. So are there any uh, last uh, thoughts or comments on this episode? I think, yeah. I mean, we covered so much. Brad, I'm so glad you got the one about the shitty college boyfriend. That was just a, <laughs> that was just pure genius. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think I'm good. I'm trying to think of where I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, loved it. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel good, man. How about you? We, you know, final thoughts? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we, uh, think we covered it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> All right. And with that, everyone that wraps up another episode of mad love the harley quinn uh, <laughs> podcast i'm your host uh brad flicky you can find me writing news and uh reviews for dc comics news and uh participating in the regular dc comics news podcast and you can follow me on twitter at flicky b1 uh kendra when people find you I can be found on Twitter at Devour All Words. Um, I can also be found on Dark Knight News doing the Harley Quinn comic series reviews and the Harley Quinn series reviews. Uh, and I can be found on Fantastic Universes, basically doing whatever the hell I want. Uh, Seth, where can the good people find you? Well, um, man, I love that you got a place where you can just do whatever the hell you want. That's awesome, Kendra. <laughs> we all you need it, especially when we're making TV slogans. And hey. <laughs> t-shirts tv slogans get them here get them here um let's see for me well you can find me just shouting into a microphone at random places uh you can find me on the dc comics news uh weekly podcast um and you can see me doing reviews dc comics news um you can catch me at other places uh let's see as far as social media twitter one more singleton and Instagram, either set the writer, or you can go to the one from my dogs, Bruno and Fiji. They're cuter than I am. They're more cuddly than I am. They're more fun to watch than I am. Um, and 
these days, it feels like everybody needs a little extra cuddly cute in their life. Brad, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me uh, writing news and reviews on DC Comics News. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And everyone, be sure to uh, catch up on all of our sister shows on the DC Comics News podcast. Uh, we have the regular DC Comics News podcast. We have the Spinner Rack, and we have I Am the Night, uh, hosted by Steve J. Ray, that uh, gives a episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the animated series. So that brings to a close this episode. And as we like to say, as we finish up these podcasts, read more comics. <laughs> hey, <Boom>. everyone. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Three, two, one.